What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 148 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. I'm Kenny Keith, and I'm joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. What up, Vin? What's going on, brother? It has been a, let's just say, a wonderful weekend for me so far as I nailed, <laughs> nailed a nine-team parlay yesterday. College basketball. Stuffed about uh, just short of 650 in my pocket. Not too shabby, my friend. We'll, we'll see if I can uh, hold on to that and, and actually make a withdrawal. Dude, you got to love winning those giant parlays because I know you as a sports better as being the kind of guy that likes to do straight-up bets, money line bets. Right. Keep it simple and mix in some parlays. So now that you've had a little taste of, of, of big parlay success, and I know you've had it in the past, <laughs> I have a feeling that you are going to be doing some four- and five-teamers and probably another nine-teamer next weekend. Well, let's just say I, <laughs> let's just say I have a... I have a five teamer today, 130 bucks to win uh, 350. So yeah, I couldn't. I had to let it let it ride a little bit. Oh man, college basketball season betting is uh, and dude, March is just around the corner. I mean, there's no better sport to bet on. You have like <laughs> 80 options on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't really get that many options in professional boxing to bet on, do you? No. No, you do not. Yeah, it kind of flies under the radar. Maybe four or five fights uh, every few months that you can put some money on. And usually, this day and age, Vin. It's hard to put money on a guy that's plus 1,000. Hey, the way I've been picking this year, it's a good thing that betting on boxing ain't easy. Oh, man. We are in a little bit of a slow period right now in boxing. We got uh, one big fight card to preview. Um, lots of news and notes. This is a hodgepodge of boxing that's been going on here um, as we approach Valentine's Day um, here in early to mid-February. You're dialed in episode 148 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Be sure to drop by theboxingrant.com today for all the ways to subscribe to the show. Hit us up on Twitter, at VinceCummings81 and at Kenny Keith Jr. No time to waste, Vin. Mm-mm. Okay, this, this might be um, a fight that I would have put a little cache on the underdog had this thing not miraculously and conveniently went from the 142-pound agreed catchweight to a take it or leave it 147 pound fight i mean unbelievable unfriggin believable but is it first of all it's got to be at 142 pounds it should be at 140 that's where the man holds a fucking belt is at 140 pounds now i mean this is just the most least surprising fucking thing in boxing this is coming from a guy that has been giving nothing nothing but passes and, and and shots at belts that he shouldn't have and, and pass the titles that are completely undeserved. If there's any fighter in this sport that deserves nothing from anybody, it is Adrian Broder. And again, leading up to this fight, they're, they're starting the fucking, let's reboot Adrian, Adrian Broner 3.0. He's a fucking nice guy again. Yeah. He's on the right path. He's focused. And then right after he does all these interviews and, 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 and those words – come out of his own fucking mouth the next day the next day you find out this fight's got to be at 147 because he's obviously not fucking focused <laughs> shocked i'm fucking shocked Ken. you know dude it's perfect because you know these specials these these mark kriegel you know rehab specials you know, these things are are filmed like around the time that the fight's announced you know what i mean mm-hmm. so this thing could have been a month old but sure as shit and the excuse that they use it's like listening their excuse was that Adrian Broner was sick, so he wasn't going to be able to lose the rest of the weight. I got a couple questions for you here. Come First on. off, how did you get so far away from 140, or in this case, 142 pounds, that 
it took it was going to take that much extra effort to get even down to 147 pounds. That's my first question. My second question is, doesn't this, I guess this really isn't a question. Doesn't this sound a little bit like, you know, your, your like alcoholic friend who calls out of work probably two days a week and usually has a, has a pattern, you know, a guy that works for you, maybe guy who always calls out on Mondays. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry, bud. A hangover does not mean you're sick because I cannot think of any other sickness. And if he's as sick as he said he was, and he probably had the flu. Since when do you gain weight when you have the flu? You know what I'm saying? Right. So the only sickness that I can think of that would qualify as him not being able to lose enough weight is that he was hungover. And that's not a sickness, my friend. It's the act that got you hungover that's the sickness. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't believe this. They continually uh, continually allow this shit to happen. And the only reason Granados isn't backing out of this fight is because I believe this payday is four times higher than any payday he's ever had. They told him, take it or leave it. Exactly. And he's not walking away from that paycheck. So they fucking continuously pigeonhole their opponents into these situations where they know they have the upper hand and their, the opponent will bow down to their demands up until the bell fucking rings. <laughs> They'll be negotiating <laughs> right before this fight starts for something, I guarantee you. Yeah. It'll, they'll, they'll be some post-fight weight limit or whatever the fuck it's going to be. It, it's just, dude, I, I, I cannot believe that this guy continues to get shots and, and people continue to give a fuck about a guy that does not take the sport seriously. It's clear he doesn't. So now he's at 147 pounds. We've already seen what he is at 147 pounds. He doesn't have the power to to fight at at the welterweight division period he just doesn't have it he barely has it at 140 i would i would say right now at 140 pounds even in the even in one of the weaker divisions in boxing i wouldn't even put him in the top three maybe not even the top four no um dude this story isn't over though you know that right of course not you know the day of the weigh-in he's going to come in at like 148.6 yeah and i hope that granada said listen i'll take it but if you for every pound that you come in over 147 pounds, you better be sending some ends my way. I doubt I doubt they can get that from him. I doubt, he's the most protected, coddled fucking fighter in boxing right now. Unfortunately, you're probably right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Adrian Broder versus Adrian Granados. Okay, so now that that new uh, factor, we're playing with a new deck. It's reshuffled 147 pounds. I really felt at uh, you know 142. And I was, you know, definitely being optimistic that this thing could take place at 140 pounds. This game's changed. My prediction has changed. Everything has changed in this because I don't think that Adrian Granados is going to be strong enough to get Broner out of there. If there's one thing that Broner has, he's got a decent chin, okay? And he doesn't put himself out there. We've seen the boring displays that he's put on in his last four or five fights. I mean, the fights have been absolutely horrendous. So if... He's going to stink it out if he starts to look bad, just like the Sean Porter fight. Once he knew that he wasn't going to be able to put up enough effort, and he was like, you know what, man, I, I, this is agitating. I don't want to put up with this shit. He'll just stink it out. Mm -hmm. So even if Granados puts on a good, strong effort here, I think Broner will stink it out. It's in his hometown. He's going to win this fight unless Granados knocks him out. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's going to take a, a Herculean effort from, from Granados to win this fight. And... He's a small. He's a small guy already at 140. He's just not a big guy. No, this extra weight is is a complete advantage for Broner. 
Uh, Granados Shocking. isn't a big puncher, so even with this extra weight, he becomes less of a puncher. I, I, I just, you know, everything is working against Granados in this fight. Everything. As, as good as he looked his last time out and as tough as he looked, and I know he'll give everything he has, but it's just not going to be enough to get a decision in this fight. And I don't think Broner's got the power to stop him either. And I think you're exactly right. This is going to be a fight that Broner knows unless he fights in a boring fucking 25 punch around fight, which I think is going to happen. We, yeah. We'll be lucky if we get that many punches and have been in, in, in these fast past few fights from him. Uh, if, if, if he doesn't fight that way, he's not going to win. So he will, and it'll be a boring fight. And that's fine. Go ahead. Adrian Broner. Fine. You win. Where, where, where are you going from here? Yeah. You going to, you going to mess around up at 147 Cause you will not last long. No. And that's not even that good of a division. No. And who's going to want to step up and take a fight where they're not going to be on, a, on an even playing field? It's not about getting advantages. But when you go up against Broner, they don't even try to hide the fact that they give him every conceded advantage that he could possibly have in a fight. He got it against Porter Absolutely. in negotiations. And, and Porter was considered to be one of the good guys and bright spots in the future. And what did he get after beating and embarrassing Adrian Broner on national TV? Not Nothing. much. Not much served up again. <sighs> man, Broner. You know what, man? His shit show antics are fine. I just wish he'd just do that. Stay out of the ring because I enjoy kind of the train wreck outside of the ring. But anything involving boxing, it's so unfair to these people that get in the ring against him. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, Al Heyman and Adrian Broner and his team know that there's a sucker born every day. Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be somebody that's willing to give him his bullshit advantages and protect a lazy, unfocused, undedicated fighter. It's exactly what they're doing. They're protecting a guy that's a draw outside of the ring that has a little pull from from mainstream into into the sport of boxing. As slight and as little and tiny as it may be, he does have it because he's a polarizing guy. But just enough with the with the free rides and passes and I, I, just Broner, either put up or shut up in this fight and. and, and cut the fucking rebooting of here comes nice guy Broner. We don't need that. It's, yeah, it's, but Ben, big brother Floyd is promoting this fight. Oh, is he? Guess why? Because Floyd ain't got nothing else. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, he doesn't. F- Floyd has no leverage because nobody takes his fucking his fake world that he lives in seriously. Well, I know he just got burnt by a 21-year-old man who just signed his pro contract. <laughs> Hey, man, like I said, there's a sucker born every day. You know what I mean? All right, let's get to this co-feature, David Avanesian. Uh, did we predict that fight? We both said it's going to be a long stinker. Yeah. Broner decision. Bro- Broner decision. Okay. Yep. David Avanesian versus Lamont Peterson. Yes, Lamont Peterson does still exist. Um, <laughs> this fight for the WBO regular trophy at 147 pounds. Um. I don't know if Lamont Peterson is as as much as I've enjoyed watching him fight over the last five or six years. I'm not real sure he has enough equity built up with those that give a shit about boxing to be taking these kind of spurts. I don't know if this is an Al Heyman thing, Vin. I don't know if this is a promotional thing. To me, the Petersons kind of have a reputation of of being interested in boxing at the same degree as the Durrell brothers. Now, I, I don't think it's the same situation. I think it's all, you know, unique in itself, but sort of the mentality of like, okay, you know, I'll fight when I need to fight. Right. And that's okay. And yeah, he fought, you know, Danny Garcia. That was the last big fight he had. And, and, and a lot of people felt that, that he won that fight. 
is he just kind of like, you know what, man, if I'm going to go out there and do this and I'm, and, and I'm going to, you know, not be taken seriously, you know, what's the point of it? Are they going to still hold that, that third round knockout from Lucas Matisse over my head? I think Lamont Peterson's skill set, I think his heart, I think his grit, I think his everything about him is way better and deserves all the attention that it should get. Far, But his attitude and sort of disinterest does all of those great attributes that could make him successful at 140 or 147 pounds. It does it a huge disservice. Uh, I agree 100%. I think this guy has let what could have been a much more lucrative career had he just decided to be just just fight two times a year Lamont <laughs> for Christ's sake I mean I, I realize that's the standard now you know once you've made it once you've entered the top five and you fought for a belt or held a belt at one point in time you know minus a few guys in the sport uh, we're getting two fights a year that's just what it is but yeah Lamont you, you fight once a year you look good in doing it You're, you you put on semi entertaining performances He's a he's a slick, nice boxer to watch, easy on the eyes, but good in fighter. Yeah, it's it's just you wonder like where where are you going, Lamont? What, what's what's the direction of your career? Or what's this all building to? To me, it's a, it's a major disappointment. You know, he's he's a guy that's been you know probably got a gift decision against Khan. Most most feel like in his hometown. Uh, I mean, yeah, the steroids involved in that too. Yeah, and he's had that throughout his career, and and obviously he's got a. I get. I guess he gets a doctor's exemption now, but you know who the fuck knows what that's all about. But either way, you know, just a guy that that that's a that's a, just a frustrating fighter, man. He he just is. Well, yeah, all the promise was there. I mean, he's had big fights, man. You know what I mean? I mean that loss to Timothy Bradley back in the day, but there's no shame in losing to a future Hall of Famer. No, had a battle with Victor Ortiz. You know, the win against Amir Khan. Uh, the Lucas Matisse is 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 the blemish, but I don't think anybody's I don't think anybody ever. And, and, and I think that's sort of the difference in mentalities of, of people that watch this sport. I don't think anybody looks at Lamont Peterson any less because he got knocked out by a great puncher at that division that was in his prime at the time. No, you know what I mean? He, I mean, let's be honest. In 2013, Lucas Matisse was kind of revered as like a monster. He oh, was the boogeyman of the division. That's when he went on his run. Absolutely. So, look, he's had tough fights since then. Derry, you know, Derry Jean, Edgar Santana. But the problem is, is that he fought in 2011. He fought twice. 2010, he fought twice. Right. So two years in a row. And this is a long time ago. I mean, we're talking six, seven years ago. Yeah. He had four fights in two years. Then he's out for two years, fights twice in 2013, twice in 2014. And nobody can even remember that he actually fought twice last year. Because after the Danny Garcia fight was the Felix Diaz thing that got overshadowed by that uh, that young fighter that had the brain bleed in the uh, that's right in yeah. the undercard. Remember? Yeah, yeah, I completely forgot. You know why you forgot? That was the same day that you went to Golovkin versus Lemieux. That was the card uh, that was yeah. PBC, and it was in uh, Northern Virginia. Yep, yep, that's remember? right, that's right, yep. I don't know, man. I, I always enjoy watching him fight, and it's it's been disappointing. You know, he's one of the local guys that I think, you know, he's a good guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's, he has a very interesting story. Um, not, you know, all that dissimilar from Andre Ward's upbringing. You know what I mean? Right. Except it wasn't a, you know, a parent that died and, and, a, and, a, and a kid was lost. I mean, 
him and his brother were living on the street. Yeah, it was, it's homeless to champion. Homeless to world champion is a hell of a story. Absolutely. And maybe he thinks he's done enough financially. He's got enough money in the bank. He, he doesn't live a big, huge, extravagant life. No. You know what I mean? No. So maybe that's enough for him. And, and you know what? I wouldn't fault him for that. But I think there's higher powers at play here. Not enough slots for guys that aren't on the top of the pecking order of Al Heyman. Same reason why Sean Porter has been inactive as well. Agreed, my friend. Agreed 100%. You know, it's just a guy that you you kind of wish to – you'd like to see what his career would have been had he not gone the route he went with, with Heyman, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So who do you like in this fight, man? Avenisian's a tough fighter. Yeah, I, you know, the last time I saw Avenisian fight was uh, – I streamed the Mosley – uh, pay-per-view from last year mm. and i mean there, there's it, you can't really gauge him in a fight against mosley where mosley looked like complete shit and was a hundred percent washed as a fighter uh, i you know i think peterson's got too much for him he'll outbox him i think he wins nine ten rounds and looks good doing it yeah i think he probably in my eyes comes out you know a little a little rusty mm-hmm. you know what i mean uh, but you know it's been almost a year since avenesian's been in the ring as well right you know the mosley fight that you just noted I think that this fight might be a little boring first three rounds, but I think that Peterson does kind of gauge his range and gets active late in the fight, much like we saw in the Danny Garcia fight. Yeah, he is a bit of a slow starter. Um, yeah, I'd like Lamont Peterson probably to win this thing by a, uh, you know, uh, th- th- probably a split decision. You're going to see a contrast in styles here with Avenesian. Um, he may win on one scorecard or make it a draw on a scorecard, but right. I think the other two go in the way of Lamont Peterson. I'm with you. All right, let's go news and notes. That's it for the previews. We've got some post-fight here at the end, um, some smaller events that took place. I, 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 I think they took place. It was blacked out here in the, um, in the Washington, D.C. area for reruns <laughs> of Hawaii 5-0. So we'll get to the stuff that uh, generates some clickbait. How about that, man? Let's do it. All right, news and notes. All right, so the targeted, rumored, uh, anticipated, and maybe it is a foregone conclusion at this time, who knows, or an afterthought, September 13th, the target date, HBO pay-per-view for Triple G versus Canelo Alvarez. Now, this thing has kind of been put on the back burner, the announcement of Canelo versus Chavez Jr., a big fight. That'll be a huge event. So it's kind of overshadowed this. Golovkin has his own big fight and big event coming up next month. Um, So it's kind of been quiet. But now these guys are in camp. Mm -hmm. Now there's reporters with them every day while they're in camp shoving microphones in their faces. Oh, yeah. So you are prone to get some dimes that, of course, BoxingScene.com will run with. Oh, they always do. <laughs> click, click. All right. So, look, we heard the rumor, you know, back in the day, like a lot of people reported on the fact when this thing, I think even before Canelo, uh, you know, submitted his belt to Triple G and, 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 and relinquished it, gave it up, I think this was going on before then, that Canelo had offered Triple G a flat fee. And it was rumored to be somewhere around $10 million. Mm-hmm. All right. So, you know, as soon as you and I hear this, it just it just harkens back to 2012 when Floyd put that, I'll give you $20 million, right. and then I take the rest to Manny Pacquiao, which was a clear, looking back on everything, all the documentaries, all the articles that have been written since then, looking back on it, was a clear way to make sure that Mayweather-Pacquiao did not happen at that time. Well, guess what? Canelo is going back to the, uh, he's playing that old card again. He's playing the old Mayweather-Pacquiao card again. Because we haven't heard much from Canelo in the last few weeks, but guess what comes out of his mouth now? This is the idea to fight Golovkin after beating Chavez Jr. We already made him an offer to take the fight, but opponents are always looking for a lot more than they deserve, Then 
They're always looking for more money than anything. And then, of course, this complicates things. Uh, but we made an offer. It's up to him to accept, and we'll make this fight this year. Canelo tells TV Azteca. Uh, yeah, that's what we call the groundwork for no fight this year. <laughs> that, that is the first shovel of dirt on the Golovkin-Canelo fight not happening in 2017. That's Biff crashing his truck into the manure truck. <laughs> it his is. car into the manure truck, isn't it? <laughs> I just... I, I, I've I never thought myself the whole time that this fight was going to happen in 2017. Canelo making this offer is a complete throwaway offer. It's a slap in the face. It's an offer that, yes, Canelo can go out in the media and say, well, we're offering him three to- two to three times more than he's ever made in his career for a fight. Why doesn't he just take it? And you have the Golovkin haters that say, what is Gol- why, why does Golovkin think he's worth any more than that? Uh, he's clearly the B-side fighter in this, and obviously he is. But this offer right here just tells you off the break that they're not interested in fighting Triple G right now, and they never really were. They're stringing fucking people along. They're waiting for Triple G to get old. They're hoping that by pulling these fucking tactics and negotiations, stringing them out like everybody's doing with Triple G in negotiations right now, they're keeping him less active along the way. Yeah. So not only is he getting older, but he's being le- he's becoming less active of a fighter. And that all works to Canelo's advantage. And I-, I give Golden Boy credit. From their position as a business, they're playing it perfectly. They well, are playing it perfectly well, to a T. They had shit in their laps previously. Yes. The whole debacle of Canelo handing the belt over after him winning it and saying that and, and throwing that temper tantrum in the ring saying that he's not scared of anybody. Well, and they, dude, they threw up all over themselves. Yes. But I got to give him credit. And you just pointed to it, man. This was the only hand that they can play because here's the thing what's been going on in the background with the whole Triple G, Billy Joe Saunders stuff and the Chris Eubank stuff is mm-hmm. their whole argument, Tom Loeffler and K2's whole retort to all that mess is hey, we're offering you the biggest payday you've ever had in your career, and you're turning it down. And guess what? Canelo's doing the same thing to Triple G yeah. that they're doing to Saunders and Eubank. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And Jacobs. Yeah. Uh, I, I, dude, it's <laughs> uh, it's ridiculous. It really is. Uh, to me, it, this also... Him well com- played, sir. Yeah, very well played. <laughs> uh, to me, this is not only that, but this is also Canelo laying the groundwork for, let's just say... Uh, Canelo Chavez Jr. sells 700,000 pay-per-views on the high end. Yeah, that's fair. I think it's going to do around 500K. Uh, it could do up to seven, possibly. Um, dude, they, they come out and make this statement first. Then that happens. They become even more of a dominant A-side, dictate-terms fighter that now this offer is, hey, what are you bitching about, guy who only sells 100,000 pay-per-views? We just sold 600000 You have no hand in negotiations here. You, you, you hold fucking deuce seven unsuited in a game of no limit hold'em, and you need to just throw your cards in the deck and sign the fucking contract. Look, Glovekin's holding out for the river card, man. He, okay, and here's the river card. Is he can say there's only one place that this fight can happen, right? And I know Oscar believes this. Now, they could say, oh, bring it to Vegas and try to trump that because they'll say they, you know, they're getting an enormous sight fee. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Canelo sold, what, 50,000 against, uh, against Liam Smith at Jarrah's World? I think it was fifty or 52,000 so, seats. Something around that, yeah. So the river card for Golovkin is, guess what, Canelo? We can do 100,000 if I'm on the bill. 
So you want to fill that stadium, and your take will be even higher because those tickets will be priced affordably. But it doesn't matter. A $50 ticket, if you're only selling 5,000 of them, is 25,000. You know what I mean? Hey, that's going to be a cash grab fight when it happens. Trust and believe that. There ain't going to be cheap tickets to Canelo Golovkin. No, I think, no, if it's at Jarrah's World, there, dude, they'll have to be. Well, yeah. Both guys' philosophies and the way that they've priced their tickets when they go into large venues is to be, whether it was Canelo at Tropicana Field, mm-hmm. or I mean, not Tropicana Field, at... Uh, Minute uh, Maid Park. Yeah, Minute Maid Park, Orange Juice. Yeah. I get my orange <laughs> juices. You know, <laughs> Florida's finest uh, park. No, I mean, the whole philosophy has been to pack people in there, to put on a spectacle. Yeah, I think all of the lower-level stuff and all the stuff that's floor-level is going to be out of our... Oh, yeah. Out of your mind tax bracket. Yes. So most of that stadium will be filled with guys just like you and I. Oh, yeah. Them upper deck seats will be probably 75 bucks. So who doesn't want the revenue on an extra 40,000 tickets being sold at an average of, let's just say, $75 a ticket? Oh, yeah. And that's what G brings to Canelo if, if, if he is interested in truly having a mega event. But like you said, I don't think that what plays are his him. odds? He's right. got a 3% chance to win the hand. I, dude, I, yeah, I don't think, and I don't think that plays very much in negotiations. Yeah, that gives him a little bit. But in the end, I think Oscar and Canelo can just say, that's fine. We'll sell fifty or 60000 without you. And guess what? The ten or fifteen that we're offering you, well, that just goes to my fighter. More of that goes to my fighter because we're not going to have to pay the next guy anywhere near what we have to pay you. But what about the guys that Canelo has been able to avoid being outside of the PBC universe? What about these guys that have been at 154 pounds that are clearly about to take a leap to 160 pounds? There's not going to be very many places for Canelo to run and hide outside of these catchweight fights. No. And the, the, the pressure of the public at some point is going to swing this thing back into Golovkin's favor, and here's how. The best thing that Canelo can do to seize his advantage as the A-side in this fight after making tons of money against Chavez Jr. is to make the Golovkin fight in September because if that fight goes past September and it does not happen this year, Golovkin, every day that goes by that that fight does not happen, the momentum swings back into Golovkin's favor. Every single day. Because it's going to, people have already been through Mayweather Pacquiao. Now, this isn't Mayweather Pacquiao on the level of, of international superstardom at the end of these guys' already epic career. These guys were Hall of Famers before that fight was even in consideration. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But at some point, Canelo's going to have to piss or get off the pot because if he decides to dodge Triple G, drag this thing out, I believe Golovkin gains a little bit more leverage. But here's the real question that's all fine and good. But if the fight doesn't happen, who cares who has fucking leverage? But here's the real question. If the fight doesn't happen, who the fuck is Canelo going to fight? <laughs> that's the that's the question. Yeah, I think he'll you'll find him. It'll it'll be a race to Billy Joe Saunders. It'll be a race to other middleweights that you just really don't Andy Lee, Eubank, Eubank. Yeah, that's all it'll be, man. It, it, really. That, to me, I think that Canelo and, and Oscar are just just perfectly fine with if this fight doesn't happen. They don't care because, for one, clearly Oscar needs Canelo financially. So Oscar is not going to risk his the guy that makes 90% of the money for his company. And it's not that's not saying that if he loses to Triple G that that value goes away, but it certainly comes down a little bit. He wants to do what Cotto did to Sergio. Right. He wants to catch G at the same time that Cotto caught Sergio. You get, I, I, I'm telling you right now, Canelo's only fighting one more time this year, no matter what. Triple G wants to fight four times. He'd probably fight three. 
one of the one of uh, Triple G's three and one of Canelo's two ain't going to be against each other. Not in 2017. I'm you, telling you. You're sticking get, by your guns, man. Get over it, folks. It's <laughs> happening in 2018. It's not happening this year. It's fucking not. This, him coming out saying that, it, it cements it for me. It fucking cements it for me. You heard it. Vince sticking by his guns. Look, I'm kind of with you, man. You got me convinced. I mean, I, really. I, I'm The optimist inside of me still thinks that that's the... That's the date. And I, and I you got David Lemieux and Billy Joe Saunders. They could fight both of them before they fight Triple G. Okay. So that pushes that out another year. Yeah. And it allows them to bring another belt into it for the for the whole shebang. And Triple G creeps closer to 37, 38, you know, and he's a fucking shadow of himself when they fight. Well, he may not be a shadow of himself, but he's not going to be a 34-year-old version of Triple G. No, and he's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every year that he waits, uh, we're we're losing a little bit. Yeah, and Canelo can keep on doing these perfectly matched fights against guys that allow him. They'll Canelo wait these people to death. I mean, dude, May six, we got uh, Canelo's debut at Super Canelo weight <laughs> against Chavez Junior. Unbelievable, man! Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it really is. All right, so that's the lowdown where we're at right now in the Canelo Triple G saga. Obviously, there's uh, fights. On the horizon, Triple G versus Danny Jacobs is very, very close. We're a month away. Mm -hmm. Um, A little extra news here. Lucas Matisse making his return. We were just talking about Matisse with the Lamont Peterson conversation. It looks like it could either be on the undercard of Alvarez versus Chavez Jr. Matisse would square off against Pablo Cesar Cano, make his debut at welterweight. But they're also saying that the Friday night before the pay-per-view that it could headline on one of Golden Boy's shows on ESPN. I don't care. I'm glad to see he's back. I was actually watching yesterday a rat-tailed version of Lucas Matisse spar Sergio Martinez uh-huh. back in the day. I'm going to tell you right now, two rounds, uh, Lucas was winning that sparring <laughs> session, which was kind of – it was crazy. He's way smaller, yeah. you know, a significantly smaller guy. I'm glad to see he's back. You know, if if Lucas Matisse is one thing, maybe he didn't quite live up to the hype that that, you know, run of knockouts and – and up to the Danny Garcia fight when it kind of started to crumble down for him a little bit. He's an entertaining fighter. He brings it to the ring. Uh, He's a fighter that I've always enjoyed watching. I'm just glad to see him back, man. Dude, you'll always remember, um, you know, Matisse versus John Molina, which you picked for the 2000, was it 2014 fight of the year? Yeah, yep. Um, And I know that that was one of your favorite fights that year, and also a fight that you and I attended, and I'm glad that we were there for Matisse versus Provodnikov because you got to just see... Yes, after the Molina fight and after the Provodnikov fight, it's clear he probably wasn't going to be the same after that. You, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the whole it, you know, it's like the whole Francisco Vargas sort of story that's playing out right now. You lose little pieces of yourself in the ring after fights like that. Oh yeah, you know, especially after you you know you look back at some of those photos of Matisse and Provodnikov embracing in the ring. I, I was glad to be at that fight. It's probably the best live fight that I've ever been to. Um, you know, but hearing his eye socket just crumble under the impact of Victor Postal's punch. I didn't think he'd ever make it back. It's been 19 months. I hope he's healed. I think Pablo Cesar, uh, uh, Pablo Cesar Cano is a perfect opponent mm-hmm. for him. I don't think that this should be the co-feature on, on Alvarez versus Chavez Jr. by any means. No, no, I don't no, mind no, this no. thing opening the pay-per-view. Personally, I like it better on ESPN as the main event. Uh, that's where I'd put it, too. The first, the first Golden Boy show on ESPN. Get people frothing the night before. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, Canelo Chavez Jr., to be honest with you, I mean, they really don't need to put much on that no, card. No, they don't. It they sells don't. just that fight alone, and they won't. They won't reach to put one of their big fighters on it, probably. 
and I'm going to buy it either way. It really doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, that, that to me, it's just a fucking intriguing fight oh, alone. And the crowd is going to be epic. Yes. The crowd is going to be epic. All right, one last little bit here on Gennady Golovkin-related news. And I guess Canelo is related to this, too, because he's on this list. The article that came out on ESPN.com by none other than boxing's biggest spaz, Teddy Atlas. Jesus Christ. I don't know. There has been such a pattern in society right now, then, of all these, like, celebrities or faux celebrities, guys that seem to be yesterday's news, you know what I mean? Like, people that aren't really where they were past their prime. You know, you got guys like Bruce Springsteen out there that you know, just become completely irrelevant in, in, in the entire like popular music um, of, of today comes out and changes his lyrics to anti-American stuff for attention. Madonna saying she wants to blow up the white house for attention. All these has been's coming back into the limelight. Mm-hmm. This feels like boxing's pathetic version of this as Teddy Atlas comes out with this article that I can't believe a a sports editor or a boxing editor from ESPN would go to Teddy Atlas and be like, listen, we want you to do your pound for pound list and we're going to write an article about it. Because guess what? There wasn't an article about it. Had there been an article about Teddy Atlas's pound for pound list, then that would have been one thing. Teddy Atlas's pound for pound list. Here it is, folks. No. But the article that comes out is Teddy Atlas, why I left Gennady Golovkin off my pound for pound list. So that's what the article's about. As if Somebody told him, make a pound-for-pound pound list, leave Gennady Golovkin off of it, and we'll get some clickbait because his his following is rabid. The diehards are rabid, and we're going to fucking stir the pot because we know that negativity and contrarianism is, is, is what serves the day today in the news world. No, you're absolutely right. And look, I look at this two ways. This is a Teddy Atlas saying, hey, uh, remember me? <laughs> Boxing's about to come back on ESPN. They're about to fucking wind me up, and I'm going to say dumb shit again. <laughs> it, it, it's that, and it's... Uh, Boxing's wind-up Muppet. Yeah, it's it's that, and it's fucking co- a, a complete play on the side of who is going to be giving Teddy Atlas a job now. Yeah. Who's that going to be? Golden Boy Promotions has fights on ESPN now. Well, guess whose side he's going to take? He's going to take the side of Golden Boy and, and not basically come out and... You know, not saying that he's like, I'm a Canelo guy, but when you're doing that with Golovkin, you're clearly stating, for one, that you're a retard and you don't know boxing <laughs> if you're going to keep him off your top 10 pound for pound list. You're going to have Errol Spence on and Gennady Golovkin off. And get, Keith Thurman ranked fourth. Get get out of my fucking face with that garbage, all right? That's fucking, that's horseshit. You're going to do that and completely disrespect everybody that knows anything about the sport <clears throat> and completely just... You might as well just open your mouth and insert Golden Boy's dick into it. Or Al's. I think he's got. I think he's getting some double penetration action right now. <laughs> I mean, honestly, why have Keith Thurman ranked fourth and Errol Spence ranked tenth? He's looking at it. He's playing both cards. Yeah, it's. it's you know what I mean? It's he, pathetic. He's man. like, whoever wins this battle, ESPN's probably eventually gonna give this contract to either PBC or Golden Boy. It's gonna be one of the two, Vin. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? He is getting double penned right now. I mean, dude, I, I honestly, I don't have anything against Teddy Atlas. I mean, he makes me laugh with the dumb shit he does with the, what's the one fucking gift? A fireman. He's a, I'm a fireman. And then he, you put the lime in the coconut. 
<laughs> you know that bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he does some wacky shit, and he's a funny guy. But you need that shtick when there is a sea level fight going on 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 ESPN Friday night uh, yeah, fights. And, and Tessator placates him and allows him to fucking go off and let him do his thing. It's fine. It's entertaining when there's a shitty fight going on. I get it. I don't hate <laughs> Teddy Atlas, but this is a this is hey hey Teddy's bending over. Go ahead, walk up behind him, Golden Boy. Uh, to me, that's what it is. Oh yes, my job is back. Let me just. Let me just reaffirm to them that I'm on their side. I'm with you guys. Glovkin sucks. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's even more to me is like the the whole leaving Golovkin off thing. Okay, we've touched on that, right? Mm-hmm. The Errol Spence being on the list is just so confusing to me because, come on, Teddy. Well, look at his can, reason. Can, can, can we please allow this kid to win a championship first? Look at your reasons, his reasons for keeping Golovkin off the list are the exact same reasons that you should keep Errol Spence off the list, yet he's <laughs> on it. He hasn't fought anybody yet. That he's, you know, dude, it's, 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 it's just ESPN's mantra nowadays. <sighs> you know what I mean? It's like when Cam Newton threw that little bitch fit after the Super Bowl last year. Right. And the very next day on SportsCenter, you got Lindsey Zarniak out there going, well, you know what? Actually, if you listen really closely in the background, there's somebody else talking back there that hurts Cam's feelings while he's being <laughs> asked this question. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, I mean, we have to take that into consideration. Oh, give me yes, a break. It's like, it, dude, it's like the pitcher from the Marlins that died. You know, they weren't going to even, before it was revealed that he crashed his boat and died from a cocaine uh, alcohol-induced crash driving a boat at high speeds at nighttime, ESPN gets out in front, oh, such a nice kid, great smile, impact on all the people that he met in this world, always trying to get out in front, and then it's much easier to backpedal than it is to take a stance of reality and have to defend it. Oh, that's ESPN in a nutshell these days, buddy. So Teddy Atlas is a company man now. Oh, he is. Hmm. He ain't got too many paychecks coming from anywhere else. No, no. I'm I'm pretty sure Tim Bradley's probably about getting fed up and rethinking, "Eh, next fight maybe we'll go without Ted. Yeah, yeah, Teddy can definitely produce a game plan that can beat a faded Brandon Rios. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, good for you. You know what I mean? But uh, I'm pretty sure I could have I could have cornered Bradley to victory in that fight. Yeah, I mean, uh, Teddy Atlas definitely gave a I don't know, Virgil Hunter would be very disappointed in the performance <laughs> that he put forth in the corner versus Pacquiao in that third fight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fucking Teddy Atlas. So let's just go ahead and rattle off this pound for pound list. There dude, there's contradictions all over this. Okay. Number one, Vasily Lomachenko. I don't have a problem with that, right? Terrence Crawford, number two. I don't think he's number two. I don't have a problem with that. I think Crawford and Lomachenko are both in the top five. Right. Okay? If I'm making a list, Andre Ward. Why is Andre Ward third? Tell me why he's third. Nobody thinks that he beat Sergey Kovalev. So what did he do before that? He beat Paul Smith. Yeah. He beat Semira Bubida <laughs> and Skibida Dubida. You know what I mean? Like, so why? Uh, Keith Thurman is fourth. Keith Thurman most meaningful wins of his career are against Diego Chavez and Jesus Soto Carras. Well, Sean Porter. Sean, and, and Sean Porter. But to me, Porter's on the same level as Soto Carras and, and, and Chavez. The ghost. Uh, you know, I would, I, Keith Thurman is no more than an honorable mention guy. <laughs> He's a top 20 fighter in the world. I yeah. think a lot of people revere him as a, a top three welterweight in the world. Yeah. But give me a fucking break. Number four. So Keith Thurman deserves to be ahead of Chocolatito, who's at six, ahead of Sergey Kovalev, who's at five. Why is, like, this just goes to show the laziness of people like Teddy Atlas that only watch what's right in front of their face. You don't have to keep putting Guillermo Rigondeau on your pound-for-pound list. 
it's almost like these people feel like, well, we have to save a space for Guillermo Rigondeau because he's done a shit ton of stuff in the last three years in boxing. <laughs> I mean, honestly, in my opinion, Canelo deserves to be ahead of Keith Thurman, Chocolatito, uh, Manny Pacquiao. Shit, we'll find out here soon enough in the next year or two if Errol Spence deserves to be. But it, this thing makes, there's no rhyme or reason to this. No. You got guys that don't fight, guys that do fight, guys that don't want to fight. At least it appears that he actually made that list himself. <laughs> he he, yes! may have, he may have been fed the names, <laughs> but, but the dumbass actually made it himself. It's pretty clear somebody didn't write this for him. <laughs> oh, dude, that's awesome. Jesus. Oh, that is awesome. All Welcome right. back, Teddy. Welcome back, baby. Man, brain cells will not be recovered after that conversation. <laughs> All right. Um, Miguel Cotto versus James Kirkland. Apparently, the fight has been canceled due to a broken nose that was suffered in training camp by James yeah, Kirkland. Right. Okay. Yeah, right. Let's take a couple factors into this, Finn. James Kirkland has a reputation for not being able to get in the ring. Pixar didn't happen, Ken. Okay, number one. <laughs> <laughs> this fight's not happening for this reason, and it's not because of a broken nose. Right. It's because Rock Nation looked at the numbers, looked at the, uh, at the forecasted ticket sales for this event, looked at all the revenues of the $17 million that they owe Miguel Cotto to fight James Kirkland and said, we're canceling it. This shit ain't happening because we're not going upside down $10 million on this fight. That's why it was canceled. No, you're, you're exactly right. And, you know, we'll see how this plays into the delay of the Brooks Spence purse bid and if Cotto has now thrown his, mix, thrown his hat into the mix for Brook at, at 154. And if that has that UK money. Uh, yeah, uh, that's about the only place they can go put Cotto, Rock Nation being that, and make money or break even because Kodo Brook will sell on pay-per-view in the UK. It will sell very minimal, minimally here, but it will still sell. It'll probably do 150, 200. He's got his base of people right. that are, he's going to do 200 on any pay-per-view he does. Right. I, I think it's fair to say he, do, he does 150 to 200 K in America. Yeah. And you throw that on top of the four or 500 K that will buy it in the UK. <laughs> so that's the only, that's their only option. It's either that, or Tim Bradley, or Juan Manuel Marquez. Give me Marquez. I, I, that's what I want. I think Brooke beats the piss out of Cotto. Uh, you, you think so? I think it's a really good fight. Yeah, I, dude, I think they're, the, all three of those are actually... I'm not saying Brooke knocks him out. I'm saying I think that that goes the distance, and Cotto has a propensity of getting busted up late. Oh, yeah, and I, I, how focused is Cotto on his way out, you know? Yeah. In, in it, a tough fight late. He's folded before. Well, or he just kind of keeps at a safe range like he did against Canelo. Right. Look, I put aside what I really feel about Cotto and the fact that, you know, kind of wish he would just go away. He's one of them guys that's been lingering and he's just making money on his way out. But I'm telling you right now, I don't – I realize it's going to have to be pay-per-view. I'm not paying fucking 60 bucks, so get it right. Put it at 30 Put it at 40 Him and Marquez at $40 – would sell more than you think if promoted properly. I'd probably just stay and, home and order it. And Timothy Bradley. They would both sell enough. Maybe not enough to re- to recover your fucking dumbass contract that you gave a, t- a, a, a washed-up fighter that was probably barely ever worth that in his prime. At least you'd be getting something back. Y- at least, yeah. Cut take, your losses. Cut your losses and do that. That's your only option. Marquez has been out of the ring for 10 years, though. <laughs> it feels like it. But I still want to see it. He's got that. You, you give him some of that, that Memo Heredia mix, and he'll be right back to normal, buddy. 
<laughs> with the piss chaser. <laughs> he chases his PEDs with piss. You piss 90% of nutrients out. Well, guess what? Juan Manuel Marquez absorbs another 10% of that 90% he pissed out. <laughs> he recycles all of that, uh, all that Mexican cow meat. You know what I mean? Oh, man. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't really care what happens next, but obviously Rock Nation, if if they have any sense at all, is going to have to try to recoup something. So they're just going to go after the guys that can get them money. Right. Which is shameful that a fight has to be made because of that. I mean, I, I, I you know, I get it with the whole Manny Pacquiao thing. Like, he can go, like Tiger Woods can go to, you know, the UAE, and he can get a site fee to come, and then it's just, like, bring the opponent. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. At least in Pacquiao's case, with Horn, he's a mandatory challenger for Pacquiao's WBO welterweight belt. So if they take it, it doesn't matter where the fight happens. They're going to take it wherever they're going to get the biggest site fee. That's how they recoup it. They don't recoup it by saying you have to buy this. They know that the pay-per-view is not going to sell. They're not going to sit there and insult boxing fans and be like, Bob Aaron, Pacquiao, Cons, they've all been kind of like, well, we're doing this. So if you buy it, you buy it. UAE's paying fucking Pacquiao's $20 million. No, but I think, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Pacquiao or uh, Aram and Cons are not on the same fucking page. Because one, one guy's saying one thing, the other's saying something completely different. Because Cons gets a bigger cut from the UAE guys. Oh, absolutely. And he probably gets a couple prostitutes while he's over there. <laughs> That's a little fucking easy. I'm sorry. Cons is a creepy-looking dude. It'd be nice to see him out of one of those tacky jumpsuits, though. You know what I mean? Out of, out of one of those velour jumpsuits and put him into a dashiki or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, enough of this cons talk. Oh, <laughs> uh, but no, but it's you know, it's it's. I do think that there's a discernible difference, and you can say, "Oh, you're uh, Ken." You sound like a pack tart saying that, dude. I'm just as big a fan as Miguel Cotto's as I am of Manny Pacquiao. Like these guys have been boxing for the last ten years. You know, while it has been Mayweather and Pacquiao at the forefront, Cotto has been, you know, if, if Mayweather was 1A and and Pacquiao was 1B, Cotto's been 1C. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he had himself in, in a, uh, uh, you know, a really great, uh, you know, accounting of himself when he fought Floyd Mayweather. The guy is a pay-per-view franchise, but this is embroiled in a situation where his promoter cannot afford to put him in fights. They already know. They, they've wasted one of the $17 million fights was his Rock Nation debut against Daniel Gill. Yeah, how'd that do? $17 million? <laughs> How can anybody make that amount of money for fighting Daniel Gill? I think, uh, I think Gill made more money than Golovkin did when they fought. He, I'm being dead serious. Uh, he may have been the highest paid fighter. last. He may have had the biggest purse in boxing last year. Honestly, because Pacquiao didn't get his guaranteed 20. I don't think, what did he get, 12? I think he got eight. I, no, I think he got four or five guaranteed. And then whatever he made in the upsell of the, uh, of right. the Bradley and Vargas fights. So, yeah. Who was the highest paid fighter last year in boxing? <laughs> that's guaranteed, baby. And that's Cotto's whole whole leveraging point. Now him and Roach are trying to, oh, yeah, we were so close in the Canelo fight. We deserve that one. It's like, dude, just come out and say it. Listen, I am a diva. Okay, I'm a big diva with a big nutsack who likes to kiss on on guys, that, uh, sloppy boys that have turned skinny with their flabby, flabby turkey throats. <laughs> as long as everybody wear pink, we are happy. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I'm going to get my money, you know? <laughs> I mean, dude, it, it's it's so self-absorbed. Oh, it, it definitely is. What Cotto's doing. He is out for 1A, and that <laughs> is it. At least Pacquiao's got 10,000 hangers on <laughs> that he's got to feed. That's a lot of double cheeseburgers, man. Gosh. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, Cotto saga never ends, man. It needs to end soon. It does. It needs to end soon. Fight Timothy Bradley. Fight Manuel, uh, Manuel Marquez or bye. Bye's fine. Yeah. All right. Um, Deontay Wilder versus Gerald Washington. Take place February 25th. This fight, I think we've talked about it before and the first grumblings about this fight, about awesome. how exciting this is going to be. Awesome fight. What I found out to be really interesting was, one, this fight has been announced for a little while now, but it's only been in the last week as we are a week and a half, two weeks, two weeks away from Deontay Wilder versus Gerald Washington. I will say this, though. Since Lou DiBella has been the sham promoter for Deontay Wilder, even though that this seems in this fight against George uh, against Gerald Washington to be way too late to start your promotion. This is the most that Lou DiBella has said openly to the press and to the public since supposedly representing Deontay Wilder. That is how awful of a promoting job him as a sham promoter has done that now he's doing his best promoting for this guy. Two weeks ahead of a fight against the guy that is clearly there so Wilder can win without re-breaking his hand. And I find it so ironic that all of Lou's comments have been geared in a protective posture. We've heard this through the history of boxing. These promoters will throw out these excuses all the time. They will talk about everything around the actual fight with the fighter. But now in one week, then, Lou DiBella has come out and laid the groundwork for why a Luis Ortiz fight will never happen. Right. Right? And why why now through some... fucking sidestep passive-aggressive commentary about pay-per-view being the issue and that Wilder versus Joshua is not a pay-per-view because pay-per-view is dying. But guess what? I helped invent (laughs) pay-per-view. But how that fight's not pay-per-view worthy. So what you basically came out and said in one week's time, Lou, while promoting a guy that you have done zero promoting for up to this point, is you have said, hey, well, Luis Ortiz did steroids and, uh, you know, who's he? What has he ever done? Okay, here's my answer, Lou. Guess what? Luis Ortiz has fought regularly on HBO. Yes, there was the PED pop. Yes, that's fine. If you want to hang your hat on that, because miraculously everybody that's lined up to fight fucking Deontay Wilder pisses hot for a for a you know for a PED, that's fine. You want to use that excuse? That's fine. But to use the excuse that this guy is not known, I'm sorry. Or marketable. Luis Ortiz is more marketable and more known, has been on HBO, and now has the matchroom machine behind him. That is more than all 37 of Deontay Wilder's opponents, one of which was fucking Berman Stavern, who's promoted by Don King, and you saw how much weight that carried. King Kong carries more weight than all 37 combined. So your point is fucking retarded. But then to go on with the Anthony Joshua thing with the pay-per-view, then and basically say that this thing's not a pay-per-view, it is going to take 15 to $20 million guaranteed for that fight to happen. You think the executives from Fox who've been butt-fucked by Al Heyman and NBC and ABC and CBS, well, CBS, actually, Espinosa's bending over and taking that one, <laughs> but do you think that, the, that they're just going to Lou, are you? Do you have $15 million to pay the, the fighter who now all of a sudden you're on board to promote? Hey, you're the promoter now, right? Yeah. So if without pay-per-view, 
Vince, Wilder versus Joshua is a non-starter. It cannot happen without pay-per-view. Nobody, unless the fucking king of Abu Dhabi says, I'm paying $20 million, I'll pay for the salaries. It ain't happening. No, no, you're exactly right. I, I'll tell you what, the thing that, that pisses me off surrounding all the shit that Lou has said this week, and obviously he's, he's had mics in his face, but what it was was he actually hosted a lunch in New York for after Deontay Wilder's hearing over the Povetkin testing positive. So he invites all these reporters and he hosts a lunch and he gives them all a free lunch and stands up in front of them and says, write this. This is, this is what's happening. This is the truth. And not one of those motherfuckers sitting in that room spewing back to everybody what Lou says through articles and tweets and all this other bullshit, not one of those fucking people in that room has the balls to question or even the slightest bit say, hey, hey, raise your hand and just say, hey, Lou, <clears throat> at the same time you're telling me Luis Ortiz is not marketable, you are putting your fighter in a fight with Gerald Washington and you're telling me that he is? Gerald Washington is a marketable fighter. Nobody fucking knows who he is. Quit protecting this fucking kid. We've all, you tweeted out a picture of his fucking mangled right hand. We all know that's a ticking fucking time bomb. It is a mess. And the protection is in play. And, and the, if I'm Wilder speaking from his perspective and, and Lou DiBella is coming out and saying that this fight isn't pay-per-view, well, guess where the most money comes from? You just said it, pay-per-view. So why would Wilder want his guy saying that? To me, Lou speaks out of there's not a guy in boxing that speaks more out of both sides of their fucking mouth in the same sentence, in the same paragraph. It's fucking ridiculous. I, it's just a guy that has gone from the man who kind of created boxing after dark and was this kind of up-and-coming guy in boxing and was doing a lot of good things. And now he's got this, this Lou ego has been created, especially on the backs of the PBC and Al Heyman giving him, you know, basically promoting rights to his bigger guys, right? Lou, it seems like Lou has first dibs when it comes to that. When it comes to being Mr. Mr. Sham, Lou, Lou gets the first call. Well, that's because the Barclays Center's pumping money into the PBC. Uh, yeah, Lou's been a middleman before in his career. We were talking about it before the episode. You said the, uh, on his way out of HBO, yeah, he, he sold all of his dates to Don King. Yeah, because he was like, oh, I'm going to subcontract these dates to Don yeah. King because I don't really have any fighters. I'll just make a little cash and step away. It's like, dude, they give you a fucking parting gift like that, and that's what you do? Yeah. I, I just, he's, I, he's always been that way. We've seen him in front of the board at the WBC convention, sitting there and defending the situation going on. I mean, going to bat for Sergio Martinez with the whole Julio Cesar Chavez dance mm -hmm. that was going on leading up to that fight. You've seen him be passionate in defense of his own fighters. But if something is not clearly in the interest of Lou DiBella, it has nothing to do. Lou DiBella's pockets. Yes, Lou DiBella's pockets. Well, guess what? Now that the lawsuit has been cleared, Golden Boy's lawsuit has been dismissed from the case, now I think that there is a discern that there's an eye that is on Al Heyman and the way that he's operating his business practices right now. I guarantee you right now, all eyes are on how legitimate they can make it. So now Lou is actually stepping up and acting like the promoter. Before, all he had to do was wake up every Thursday when he got his direct deposit and see his bank account grow fatter. That was as much fucking effort as he had to put forth. Mm -hmm. That was it. That was it. Let's get down to the brass tacks of this. We know what is going on. 
It is clear as day. We said it from the very beginning when Jake Donovan and Mike Coppinger were talking about how Deontay Wilder is going to fight fucking Anthony Joshua in his comeback fight after breaking <laughs> his hand for the third time. You remember all that horse shit we had to fucking wade through? Yeah, it was going to be like three months later, too, after breaking his hand. Yeah, three months later. Three months later. So they tweet out a picture and somebody just like casually making a joke like about Deontay Wilder's got a weave now. He's got some fucking cornrows or something, right? Right. And I zoomed in on the picture of the hand that you pointed out. Dude, that thing is mangled. He has had multiple metacarpal, just just completely destroyed. He has a scar that literally goes from his knuckle to his wrist. That hand has broken three times previously. And now the dance, they will have an excuse for every person that they will not fight. And Vince, what did you bring up before we went on the show today? Before we recorded about a guy... The perfect next opponent after Gerald Washington is being lined up on the undercard of this fight. You're absolutely right. Dominic Brazil. And they're going to, I'll tell you what it is. And it's almost come to, you can almost look back at, uh, at Floyd Mayweather's career, a guy that had huge problems, huge hand issues. And once those hand issues started surfacing and resurfacing after fights, guess who became less of a, of a fighter that was any bit of entertaining. If you take that away from Deontay Wilder, if you take away the power from his right hand, if he can't throw the fastball and knock guys out. He's no better than Gerald Washington. No, he's not. And I'll tell you right now, I fucking think Gerald Washington stinks on ice, and I'm betting on him. (laughs) I will fucking put money on Gerald Washington to win that fight. I will put $50 on him. He's plus 675 right now. Give it to me. I know there's... Gerald Washington will have to have some type of miracle happen to win a decision in that fight. But it's Deontay Wilder. And if he can't knock somebody out, I had him down to Spilka by fucking two points at the time he got knocked out and losing that round. You know, the thing with the Anthony Joshua fight, it, it, it's, it's kind of two-pronged here. I think they're playing Russian roulette by facing Gerald Washington, and now it looks clear that Dominic Brazil is going to be the next soft touch after that. Mm-hmm. I think they're playing Russian roulette because if he breaks the hand, it's over. It's oh, done. Yeah. If he breaks the hand again, it's done. And then it will become even more egregious. And not that Lou DiBella doesn't have a reputation for serving up fighters that have no business being in the ring, Jermaine Taylor, Sergio Martinez. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't need to go down there. So we know that, that Lou will stoop as low as he has to and will try to get Deontay Wilder in the ring with Anthony Joshua, whether this fight, his hand breaks in his little soft touches or whether – look, at the, the smart thing to do would be go straight for Anthony Joshua after the Gerald Washington fight. Mm-hmm. Get the money because you don't know how long the hand's going to last. But he'll get his whatever it is, a million dollars to fight Gerald Washington. He'll get a million dollars to fight Dominic Brazil. But if that hand breaks again, then you really are serving up a broken fighter, a, a, a man with no advantage in that fight at all. Because outside of his hand landing, that right hand landing on Anthony Joshua, for that punch that could potentially put Joshua down or knock him out, you're telling me that you're, you're willing to gamble on that one punch happening and his hand not breaking? Get it over with now. Because if his hand breaks, then you're really serving him up. And it's kind of fucked up. I mean, it'll be Deontay Wilder's choice in the end on whether or not he goes through it. But I have a feeling that there's an expectation that he has to fight Anthony Joshua. And that part of Anthony Joshua's deal with Showtime and part of Anthony and Eddie Hearn's good graces and what they've been able to do with these 
uh, Dominic Brazils and Charles Martins and serving him up, that there is a promise to deliver Deontay Wilder at some point, that there is something written down oh. that says he must be delivered one way or the other. And and if you're Deontay Wilder and you're going to finally have to have that big, it's uh, the big fight, the step-up fight, uh, when you actually get there, it's a guy that's actually hasn't had a big fighter but up until Klitschko, who he's about to fight right now, right, right, right. two very unexperienced guys that would be meeting for the fucking heavyweight championship of the world. Just a very, very odd situation altogether, man. I, I feel like these guys were, I don't know if this was envisioned a long time ago with, you know, these two meeting, but it just makes, it, it looks a little funny behind the scenes that these two guys would, would make this rise and be so protected along the way to this point. And we finally get here, and, and, and Deontay Wilder's fucking hand, his ticking time bomb in his right fist is, is going to be what, what probably forces this fight before they wanted to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, as you're talking, this song starts playing in my ears. I'm half the man I used to be by fucking Stone Temple Pilots. You know what I mean? That's what yeah. I like. I love me some Deontay Wilder. I do too. But I cannot look at that hand and say that this guy, I mean, he's going to have to wear fucking 20 ounce gloves. He's going to have uh, very thick wraps on. I know that. It's going to be a different wrap than before. Everything's going to be about protecting that hand now. Well, if the right is wrong, then I guess you have to lean on the left. But how much is, uh, it looks like he had to work on that left. He had a little bit of atrophy in that right arm, didn't he? <laughs> I, I saw him working the mitts with, with just the left. He needed to, he actually. That probably helped him in the long run, just being able to work the left. Well, hopefully he found out that he should have been a left-handed fighter all along. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I just don't see it. And, you know, yeah. it's not like he's going in there, regardless of whether Gerald Washington's worth a damn, um, you know, as a fighter. He's a big, athletic guy. And when you're fighting big guys and you want to try to get him out there, I mean, was it's going to take a lot of force. Yeah. Gerald Washington may not be very good, but I'm sure he's got a pretty hard head. I, I would I would say he probably does, and I'll be honest with you right now. He's he's long enough and big enough to cause just enough problems, and he's got a fucking annoying jab that is that will keep Wilder at bay. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a boring fucking fight, and I'm betting on Washington. Well, I'm betting that Lou will just keep on spewing all these road barriers out there to protect his broken fight. Oh, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, that'll keep coming. You keep can it up, guarantee, Lou. Guarantee that. About time you earned your fucking money. All right, Joseph Parker versus Huey Fury is official. Went to purse bid. Very sizable purse for these guys, considering the mm -hmm. level of notoriety that they have. Uh, it's going to be about $3 million at play. It's going to be hosted in Auckland, New Zealand, April 1st. Joseph Parker versus Huey Fury in Joseph Parker's first defense of the WBO heavyweight title that he won in its vacancy against um, Andy Ruiz Jr. Mm -hmm. Parker versus Huey Fury is a very interesting fight, man. Very, it's a very, very interesting fight of two guys that have taken different paths to where they've gotten. Yeah, I mean, Huey Fury's been on the shelf for, what, over a year now? Huey. It's, it's, it's been a while since we've seen him fight. He's been pouring shots for Tyson. <laughs> He's the middleman buying the yak for the parties. So if I'm Parker, you know, I'm going to lean his way just based on the, the inacti inactivity for Huey Fury, but Huey Fury's a solid fighter, man. I mean, he's no pushover. Again, just I'd almost put him right along the lines of Andy Ruiz as far as being a scary matchup for him. This is not going to be an easy fight. This is not Joseph Parker, you know, stepping into the ring to win eight, nine rounds and win an easy decision. This is not going to be that easy for him. It's just not. 
No, I, I don't think it's going to be easy either. But I think if there's one thing that we've noticed with Parker is that he has not been a guy to take easy fights. I think he's a guy that's also figured out how to win rounds. Got a lot of great experience for somebody as young as him in the heavyweight division. Right. In an era of protected heavyweights. I mean, no, none more so than Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. Regardless of how good they are or as exciting they are, that's the, that's the fucking facts of life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Joseph Parker will be ready for this fight. My question is, will Huey Fury be ready for this fight? Okay, look, Fury fought Fred Cassie and Dominic Gwynn last year. Okay. Whoopity fuckity do. And they were a month apart. So they were obviously looking for big things until... He's been on the shelf for quite a while. I think the British Boxing Board uh, launched some inquiry into the, oh, that's right. the acne oh, of did. Huey Fury. Yeah. And then his cousin miraculously disappeared and feigned mental illness. Huh. Meanwhile, he's at the bar buying rounds for everybody. Hmm. Shots, 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 shots. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, I think that Huey Fury, this fight for him, is this is horrible timing. Yeah, it is. He's going to travel halfway across the world. He's going to travel to the other side of the globe mm-hmm. for his first title shot when his biggest win in his career is Fred Cassie. He's 22 years old. He has not been conditioned. He is not ready for this fight. I am. I tend to believe, regardless if this is his first title shot or not, he comes in in Fury-esque shape mm-hmm. for this fight. Mm-hmm. I think Parker ends up uh, grinding him down because he knows how to do that. Parker knows how to take guys to deep waters. His stamina has been in question in a few fights, but he has been rounds. Huey Fury has not. He's no. been rounds against bums. I think Joseph Parker grinds him down, and I think Parker stops him in the 10th round because I do not think Huey Fury is ready for this fight. Would not, would not be surprised to see that at all. I'll tell you what I'd like to see from Parker is he was the heaviest he's ever been in his last fight against Ruiz. He was. I, I'd like to see you know maybe 10 pounds lighter from him. Because I think that's a lot to do with his stamina issues. Is just he carries around a little bit of extra unnecessary weight. His when fighting you, weight at six foot four should be two forty. Yeah, no I, more. Yeah, two thirty five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, look, Fury's going to come in and he better be in the best shape of his life. He hasn't been active enough. Mm-mm. But maybe he's just been one of these guys that has just been in the waiting, and all he needed was his shot. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think he's decent. I don't know about all that good. All right, so Joseph Parker versus Huey Fury from Auckland, New Zealand. WBO heavyweight title on the line April 1st. Kel Brook versus Errol Spence going to purse bid in just a few days, Vin. What say you? You think Brook Spence gets done? Eddie Hearn says it does as long as Amir Khan doesn't come knocking. Yeah, I don't think Amir Khan's coming knocking. He's got other other things going on in his life right now. And I Look, I, all signs point to it. That's That's for sure. I have my doubts in the long run that Brooke can even make 147 anymore. You know, uh, we'll see. We're going to find out Tuesday. <clears throat> we will. Yes. Indeed. If that fight happens, dude, it's I'm Great down. fight. Yeah. Great fight. I'm down. Great test for Errol Spence. Huge pr- uh, proving ground. I for mean, him. if you're giving me Thurman Garcia and Brooke Spence, that right there is probably the four best welterweights in the world right now. Yeah. Well, minus made it back yet. Yeah. Well, Kenny's doing a world tour of Thank you, Tor. He'll be back soon. <laughs> All right. Vasily Lomachenko versus Jason Sosa um, is official, and it will be at the MGM Grand National Harbor, Oxon Hill, Maryland. Uh, just a uh, 30 or 40 minute drive down the road for you, Vin. Where will you be on April 8th? I will be there in all my glory, Ken, soaking in the performance of high tech. I can guarantee you that. Dude, Jason Sosa is going to give him a fight. 
Oh, I think so, too. Unless he wilts under the intimidation of, like, what's going on here? I think if Sosa's done one thing, he's proven that there's no stage too big, and uh, he is about as tough as they come in the sport of boxing. You think the detractors of this fight just haven't been paying close enough attention to Jason Sosa? I mean, obviously, you look at it on paper, and I would say the same thing, that Lomachenko wins this in, in a wash, pretty much. He's just a better fighter, but there's not that many guys out there that you wouldn't say that with. And... I'm not so sure there's a lot of guys that are that willing to take the beating from Lomachenko. So it is what it is. I look at it as an opportunity. Uh, Obviously, there's some bias on my end in the fight that I get to go see Lomachenko live, which I view as, yes, I'm getting to see one of the best out there right now, if not the most skilled fighter out there live. Uh, Thank you very much. I'll take that opportunity. But... uh, other than that, it, look, it is what it is, man. I, there's no way that I don't see this guy in big fights and them trying to get the biggest fights possible <clears throat> for Lomachenko. He's there's no reason to hide from anybody. No, no, and and and, and there's just you know there's a an expiration date on all of this stuff. Yeah, regardless of how great Vasily Lomachenko is in his prime, will probably be in his prime for the next three or four years. Yes. I have no doubt about this. Yes, guy is a freak athlete. He could be in his prime till he's 35. He's such a freak athlete. Mm-hmm. Him slowing down over the years probably just brings him back to the pack a little bit. Yeah. Who cares? We're here today. Jason Sosa is a tough SOB, has proven himself in the ring, and this will be one of the toughest fighters that Lomachenko's ever been in the ring with. He gave Nicholas Walters a tough fight. He beat the shit out of Javier Fortuna. This guy's not a stiff. No. He's not a bum. No, no. And obviously, you know, even though Fortuna is a wild card, his athleticism is uncontrollable. There's no rhyme or reason to what the guy does. It's not the an fa- easy fight. No, it, it, not for a guy like Sosa, who's a grinder, wear you down kind of guy. He's, yeah. he's not the athletic, fast twitch guy that that Vasily Lomachenko is or that Javier Fortuna is. Mm-hmm. But it goes to show you he knows how to deal with athleticism a little bit. So he shouldn't be intimidated by it. But when Lomachenko starts spinning you in circles and starts piecing you up with punches you don't see, you can become discouraged quite quickly. Yeah, there, there's no other way I can see this fight ending than a stoppage somewhere late, in between rounds by the corner, saying, "You know what, son, this this is let's let's live to fight another day." <laughs> oh, high tech going back to work. All right, let's close this thing out, Vin. And surprising, shocking news in uh, in the world of boxing: Shakur Stevenson, the 2016 Olympic silver medalist from the United States. What we thought during uh, you know the entire Olympic boxing um you know events floyd mayweather in in attendance we thought that floyd mayweather shakur stevenson was going to be this match floyd made it seem like blah 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 it's a done deal and it turns out that actually floyd Mayweather. we heard it come out a while back that shakur stevenson thought that floyd mayweather is just all talk Mm -hmm. he comes out and takes apparently less money according to bob Arum, to sign with Top rank in probably the two uh, early contender for 2017 upset of the year. Yeah, I, I was shocked to see it. I, look, the kid, the kid made the right move. I mean, the, I don't know how many arguments I got into, and I do as I do on Twitter sometimes get dragged into stupid arguments with idiots and try to convince them that they're wrong. But there was no other option. You know, what, what are you going to do? Sign with Rock Nation? No, no. They have, they have proved themselves to be completely inept in promoting any fighter or any fight in general or having any semblance of any idea of what they're doing in the sport of boxing. You're going to go with Al Heyman? I don't think the PBC's future, does anybody know what's going on 
there. It's a little blurry. Well, uh, yes, Steven Espinoza. It's all coming back to Showtime. Yeah. I, I, you know, top rank is the the surest thing in the sport. You ain't signing with Golden Boy because the guy who owns the company's got fucking personal issues right now that he needs to attend to. I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise any fighter to sign with Golden Boy right now because who's running the ship? Who's steering that bad boy? Eric, I, Eric Gomez. Probably, yeah. But yeah, the guy who pulls the strings and signs the checks, uh, he's having a little questionable fucking shit going on in his life. He made the the right move. I give him the, all the credit in the world for being smart enough to do it. You know, he's dragged Jay Prince and Andre Ward into the mix. I, you know, I don't know much about Jay Prince. I know that Jay Prince is really, really tight with Bob Arum. That's what I do know. Oh, he definitely is. Apparently, he's got beefs amongst the music industry and all that, and it was brought to my attention. I, I don't care about any of that shit. What, uh, he's with top rank. He's with Bob Arum, the most bona fide star maker in the history of the sport of boxing. Yes, you made the right decision. Good job, kid. Good job. Yeah, I mean, dude, top rank has, has loaded themselves up with Olympians from 2016. Yeah, they v- have. Very good signing period for sure. Um, and maybe one day we get a little uh, Stevenson versus Conlon down the road if all things work out. Ooh, yeah, that looks that's looking what five six years down the road. Ah, yeah, these guys are babies right yeah, now. Yeah, but they're not. They're, they're obviously not hesitating because look who's opening on St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. St. Patrick's Day weekend for the Golovkin Jacobs card. Yeah. Oh well, you know top rank when they sign both of them. That's what they envision. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I'm looking forward to his debut. All right, so. I guess kind of keeping it with the whole Rock Nation thing. I don't know how much this has to do with Rock Nation. Um, Andre Ward, then it looks like that he is on a campaign to tell the world that a rematch that he owes Sergey Kovalev contractually is not going to happen. But Igus Klimas, the manager of Sergey Kovalev, has recently said on a podcast that, um, yeah, he owes us the fight or we'll see him in court. Now, Andre Ward famously sued his promoter to get out of his contract, wasted two years plus of his career, um, lost every count of every uh, attempt to sue and get his way out of his Wasn't contract. Wasn't it thrown out before it was even heard every time? Uh, pretty much. And so now I wonder how Andre Ward is going to react to getting sued by somebody that actually has legal grounds to sue him and if a fight is not consummated, he will probably, Kovalev will probably get a settlement from Andre Ward for the value of what he would have made from a rematch, which would be more than it was for the first fight. I don't even know if that's enough to make him fight, Ken. I think he has completely convinced himself and his delusional world Do that you think Andre- he doesn't know anybody or the sport of boxing anything. He's an all-time great. He is an all-time great in his own eyes, so to him he owes nothing to nobody. But he does not have Floyd Mayweather money, does he? No, he does not. How do how would it feel if a court ruled saying Andre? Guess what? You had a contract here. Now you're gonna if you're not gonna make this fight happen. If the court can't make this fight happen, you do you have three million dollars laying around to just hand over to avoid a fight? It's one thing for Golden Boy and Canelo Alvarez who make ten million dollars a fight mm-hmm. for them to pay a $1 million step-aside fee or for them to hand over a belt. Let's not pretend that Andre Ward has made more money than he has. The guy's probably made $20, $25 million his entire career, and the guy's been on vacation for the last three years. So he's obviously had to support his lifestyle Mm -hmm. and his family, right? 
So how would he be able? He's going to have to make the fucking fight. The court is going to force this fight. He don't have $3 million just to hand over because that would be a big old coiled up dookie on his legacy. Oh, it absolutely would. And I look, um, I, I, Andre Ward, as far as I'm concerned, I, I, I just don't think that, you know, when you look at what, what your record has been in boxing, yes, uh, you can claim to be undefeated. That's that's fine. Everybody knows you lost to Kovalev, but on 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 the record sheet it says zero. Well, that zero's on the other side when it comes to Andre Ward in courts against contracts. Oh, and he- that will happen again, and you will be 0-4 if you decide to go this route and not make this rematch. He takes L's in the courtroom. And if, he's, if, what, he, if what comes out of his mouth, if he believes what he spews into microphones every week, if he actually believes it, then he would have no problem with making the rematch because to him he clearly won the fight and took over and dominated the second half. So why wouldn't he? You're going to win again, right, Andre? You figured out a one-dimensional fighter and dominated the second half of the fight. So that tells me in the next fight, well, you should be able to dominate the whole fight. So why would you not take it? Yeah, where else are you going to make another $5 million? He's not. He's not. There's no other fight for him out there. Adonis Stevenson, well, are we going to act like he is a player in the 175-pound division? I guess those that are believing what Ward says would probably consider anybody a player. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Andre Ward, we'll see you in court. Yeah, it's looking that way. All right. Fights from this past weekend, and we'll close it out. Robert Easter Jr. versus Luis Cruz. What would you think about Easter's performance? I know you're really high on this guy. Uh, you know, I, I love Easter, and I thought he put on a great performance. I would have liked to see him finish it, stop the fight. But, you know, it is what it is. He's a young kid still learning. He, you know, of course, comes out after the fight and calls out all the big names in the division. And Let's do uh, it. Yeah, I, I want it. Uh, I'd love to see it. I'm not quite sure. He may need a little bit more seasoning before these guys, but I think we may see a different Robert Easter when he, when he gets in against the best, an even better version of Robert Easter. Yeah, no doubt. I, I, I do. I don't question. Like I think he's got good power. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think his power is a little overrated just because of who he's fought. I noticed some things in this fight towards the end, especially with, you know, rounds 10 through 12 when it just was knockdown after knockdown. But they were all very similar. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they were solid punches that landed all with the straight right. But I noticed that he did not punch. I mean, what would happen if he punched through his opponent? Every single one of those punches literally did not move Luis Cruz's head at all. It almost like at the point of contact, they landed flush, but then his wrist would snap, and it almost looked like the glove was sliding off the head of the opponent. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was the position that he had to throw the punches. I'd have to go back and watch it over and over again to see if that was the case. Robert Easter did not sit down and follow through the way that he can. Now, if he's able to do that against these higher-level fighters at 135 pounds, I don't know how much longer he lasts at 135 pounds, to be honest with you. He may not get his first big, big fight at until he moves up to 140. Yeah. They, you know what I mean? Yep. But to me, I feel like Robert Easter Jr., is against guys if he gets in the ring with the likes of the Jorge Linares and the and the and the Mikey Garcias, you know what I mean, and these top notch one hundred and thirty five pounders, he's going to have to enforce himself a little bit more. I think he carried Luis Cruz a little bit, and I felt like he could have finished Luis Cruz if one of those right hands would have just followed through instead of ricocheting off of his head. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. That's my only takeaway is I would love to see him finish Cruz, but there's, that takes nothing away from it. He looked great. Yeah, he did. He did. He did. No, no doubt. But that's our job to find out what can be approved of. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, 
So Robert Easter Jr. defends his IBF lightweight title. In the co-feature, uh, Rishi Warren versus Double Z. Uh, Zanat uh, Jackanoff. <laughs> Zanat Jackanoff. Jackanoff. Versus Rishi Warren for the WBA bantamweight title. I don't know, man. Maybe it's me watching so many of these Warren fights. Kind of... He just kind of reminds me of a 118-pound version of Kareem Mayfield. Like, he's not in exciting fights. Some people think they're exciting fights. I see a guy who's way too reckless when he's fighting against aggressive fighters. Mm -hmm. Doesn't throw enough punches. Fights in spurts. I'm not surprised by the outcome in this fight. I am actually the biggest, the most surprising thing to me was him dropping double Z early in the fight. Yeah, twice. I didn't think he had that in him. Well, and he also sidestepped a legitimate knockdown himself in the third round. ZZ got him and dropped him, and the ref called it a slip. It was clearly two punches, and, and Warren was out on his feet and went down. So he got lucky there. I'll tell you what, after that knockdown in the third round, Warren's game plan and outlook on that fight completely changed. He let ZZ start fucking throwing lead right hands and destroying him with it completely. You know, the punch output went way down. He started skating the outside of the ring. There was a, people were giving this fight praise because of the knockdowns on on both sides, whether it was, you know, whether it was scored one for ZZ or not. Yes, there was action packed moments, but good God. Warren packed it in, dude. He he did. He packed it in, and they, there was so much fucking holding in this fight. It's just egregious fucking holding. Kareem Mayfield? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, look, man, congratulations to Warren for, for winning his belt, you know, and having to do it Oh yeah, in a rematch to be able to win that belt. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we'll see him win another one. No, and I don't think Jacquinoff or ZZ is that great of a fighter either. I don't either. He is a fucking bull in a china closet, that's for sure. But he took advantage of the situation, didn't he? He, he did. All right, um, that was on the PBC on Bounce. Uh, Showbox, Ivan Baronchuk, a top prospect, squaring off against Abel Ramos. What did you think about Baronchuk? Uh, I think he was a little bit exposed by Ramos in this fight. Ramos, a tough fighter. Uh, you heard me calling ZZ a bull in a china closet. Well, fucking Baronchuk. He needs to he needs to relax. He needs to kind of dude. You he rushes forward in his attack so aggressively. Shabransky style. Yeah, it's even it's almost even worse. And I, you know, I've noticed it in fights before last night, but it stuck out to me a lot more in this fight. Uh, a lot of lunging, leaping left hooks that that missed wildly, wildly. He's still a machine. I mean, he has the beast nickname for a reason. I, I, he went. 12 tough or 10 tough rounds fought tough for 10 rounds he puts any fighter on the brink of just cracking mentally because he is on top of you non-stop and when he hits you he hits you hard oh that right hand he landed at the end of the fight it was so wild but yeah. almost in control it just dude it heat seeked right Man. to the target and it was a pretty thunderous punch you take a look at ramos's face after that fight and he got beat up and this is in a fight where ramos I had Ramos up, shit, I want to say, going into the eighth round, I had Ramos up in that fight, and and just the pressure of Baronchuk wore him down late, and Baronchuk was able to get the the decision. I, you know, I, I'm not going to say I'm not big on Baronchuk moving forward, but I see some serious holes and flaws that they need to get taken care of because once he steps up as easily as he was hit by Ramos, 
the better fighters in the world will take more advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, dude, I think he still kind of needs a couple more show boxes under his belt. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? I, I think it's hilarious that he's uh, he's the hometown fighter and at the Buffalo Run Casino in Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see his entrance last night or the other night? No, dude. I went right to the ring introductions. Oh, dude. He's got an awesome entrance. He comes out, the the uh, like Jason mask comes, rises up and, and opens up, and there's a cage behind him, and he's chained up in the cage, and he fucking breaks the chains and walks out. <laughs> it's a WWE entrance, that's for sure. That's awesome. He's got shtick. I like it. <laughs> I like it. All right, Vin. So I think that wraps it up for episode 148. Um, next week, we'll, I guess, have the, I don't know, the review reaction to the shit show that is Broner versus Granados. Well, we know that's going to give us something to talk about. It will give us something to talk about. So next weekend, we'll be back to preview. We got Saul Rodriguez making his Showtime. I think, is, is this his debut on Showtime? I know it's his debut with Mayweather Promotions. I think it may be his debut on Showtime. And if you want to see a guy that has literal fucking lead in his fists, oh yeah, watch Saul Rodriguez because there are very few guys that are this young that have the kind of power that Rodriguez has. I'm glad he's back. Yeah, me too. It's a good thing, um, no doubt about it. Justin Loach is actually going to be in the co-feature. He's been in an action-packed fight himself in the past. Um, Elder Alvarez versus Lucian Butte. If anybody's interested, it's available on pay-per-view. Oh, awesome. You ready for that one, Ben? No. Disappointingly, though, we're going to have to scratch half of our show because we're not going to be able to preview Cotto versus Kirkland. Oh. No, no. It upsets you. It upsets me. <laughs> we'll be okay. <laughs> I promise. But we will be back to preview Deontay Wilder versus Gerald Washington. And actually, there's a fight on the undercard of Wilder versus Washington that may be one of the best fights of the first half of 2017. And that is Tony Harrison versus Jarrett Hurd. This is a proving grounds fight, an interesting fight. Yeah, I'm looking very forward to that fight. Uh, it's the, the, the first big test for Jarrett Hurd and uh, Tony Harrison. Are you uh, for real or not? But are you looking forward to Caleb Plant's return? Oh, whip and nay, nay, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Luke Campbell back in action. Gavin McDonald versus Ray Vargas, and much, much more. But Vin and I. We'll be back next week with 149. Almost had 150 episodes, Ben. Who knew? Well, we didn't know. <laughs> but all of y'all did, and we appreciate all of you tuning in to episode 148. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, drop by theboxingrant.com today for all the ways to subscribe to the podcast. So until we return for the Wilder versus Washington preview, thanks for tuning in to episode 148 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>